And once again, welcome back to Fight or Flight. My name is Seamus. I'm here with my buddy Bird once again. Bird, how are you doing? Howdy, howdy, howdy. I am doing pretty good. Um, I'm going to be coming in with some uh, what you might call propaganda today, but I think it's going to be hard facts. Uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, though, too. I mean, I'm repping USA right now, and that's because uh, World Cup will be starting up, too. Uh, announcements. USA made it. That was cool. I honestly didn't even see that. I I think I heard that the U.S. was in it, but I yep. don't know anything else. And I heard that Ukraine's in it. Is that true as well? Yep. Uh, so it's funny because I even though the USA uh, made it and qualified, I bet that the majority of Americans will be rooting for Ukraine because uh, I think we're going to be uh, our group is currently with England in it. And a lot of people, though, we think we can compete with England. It sounds like uh, England's very heavily favored still. Yeah, I've heard England is supposed to be pretty good, but that's really all I could tell you about it. I, I, I won't have hot takes. I'll, I'll watch a little bit, but I won't have hot takes about that. Um, to your point about a lot of things happening, we had the national championship game, uh, March Madness last night. Did you get a chance to catch that? I was not able to because I was uh, playing a soccer game myself. Uh, I was actually feeling bad too now that I think about it about myself because I know we already talked about Tom Brady being back too, but like Tom Brady being 45 and chipper and like uh, just going out there. And then me after one game is like, oof, I'm going to need a couple days. It does not make me feel great about myself. <laughs> but uh, you were going to say sorry about uh, the game. Yeah, I heard it was a good game. But I also heard, though, that you were able to watch the game that was much better first. Great game. Um you know, it didn't look like it was going to be a good game. And many people thought it wasn't, it was going to be a blowout originally. Um, but 16 point lead UNC blows it, unfortunately. And the game I'm referring to though, is the Duke, the Duke game. That's the one that I heard was the must watch even before the finals. Watch the Duke game as well. The Duke UNC game. I mean, that's just, how do you even put that into perspective? The biggest rivalry, arguably in sports. I mean, we can have this conversation maybe a different time, but I don't think anything in the NBA matches Duke UNC. It'd be Celtics Lakers if you wanted to put anything up to it. But I, I don't think the continuation of that rivalry has quite matched up to what Duke UNC is. Obviously, you got like Yankees, Red Sox. I mean, you can talk about, I don't know, Bears, Packers in the NFL or like Brady Manning if you want to go like an individual level. But I think Duke UNC takes the cake. And to meet in the Final Four for the first time in tournament history, Coach K's. Last dance, UNC with the ultimate like block to that perfect storyline. They honestly, I'm sure UNC fans are bummed about how it played out last night, but I heard from UNC fans that they would literally have lost championships to win that Duke UNC game. So, oh, yeah, I feel like I've heard so many things of them just being like, we just wanted to win over Duke because I think Coach K now ended his career with a 50 like split for uh, his uh, matchups against UNC. So that's pretty 50, impressive 50 for UNC. Yeah. On the dot is absurd. The parody, the rivalry, it's it. You literally can't script it any better. It's so good. Um, is he going to retire like Tom Brady too? <laughs> just speaking of the devil now. No, he'll, he's, I think he's gone. You know, the question is, no, I don't think he's coming back. I mean, I haven't, like researched it i don't know if, if people that's like the rumor but you when you do a whole last dance like that you gotta be pretty set in that 
Like that's pretty corny to come back from like a, a parade season, basically. I mean, don't put it past Coach K. People hate him for so many other reasons. Why not just add to the list of reasons to hate Coach K? Hey, you know, if he wants to do that, more power to him. He's he's certainly got the ability still, but I hope I hope he finds, you know, you know pleasure and happiness and whatever he decides his next step is. But um, Bert, enough about all that. Uh, let's uh, let's go over to the NBA. Let's go over to the professionals. It's been an interesting couple weeks since we last spoke. We have our playoff race heating up. I think yep. the story that everyone's talking about is the Lakers and just the fact that we're coming to realization right now that they're not going to make it. Like, it's just not going to happen. The story really should be, we can finally stop talking about the Lakers soon. That's yeah. what I'm excited for. We don't um, need to spend too much time on it in this podcast if you don't want to, but I think know, it's, it's okay. it is, it's worth noting that such a big storyline, such you know, monoliths of the sport like LeBron and, you know, AD to an extent, not going to be in. With the scoring title, uh, he got the scoring title too since we had our last episode as well. Yeah. So that's something big to note as well. I won't be that bummed about it, but LeBron not being in the playoffs is a weird thing. I'm not used to that. That is true. Like within our lifetime, I don't think either of us can really remember a whole lot of examples. I mean, apart from, I guess, the other Lakers example of LeBron not being there. It's yeah, it's very much a consistency. And I think the changing of the guard is definitely occurring within these few years here. Did you see that Frank Vogel might be on his way out? I would not be surprised because it seems like they're definitely trying to throw a lot of these problems that they've been having with Russell Westbrook and, the defense of that team on Frank Vogel, even though I don't really think it's really due to Frank Vogel. I mean, you have a defensive minded coach with a bunch of old guys who aren't very defensively minded players and a player infamously with AD who the position he's best at defensively, he just doesn't want to play. So I don't really know if I want to put that on Frank Vogel. It seems to me like they just gave him all the incorrect pieces, but you got to have a fall guy. And it seems like uh, if you're not going to put it on LeBron, and you're going to put it partially on Westbrook, the other guy you're going to blame it on is going to be, uh, I guess, Frank Vogel. I mean, you know the drill when you become a LeBron coach, right? Like, you're going to potentially be the scapegoat. So I don't think anyone's surprised necessarily, but I do think Frank Vogel is a good coach. So it's, you know, just one of the things like how, how it goes, you know, where he's probably not going to make it past, but there are some candidates that have been rumored do you want to hear some of the candidates go for it quinn snyder is potentially the leading candidate okay jazz head coach would be quite a move you know a lateral move to go from one of the better teams in the west over there is some possibility that i believe kurt rambis could return to the sidelines. He is a former Timberwolves head coach and Lakers great. But the really spicy one, Doc Rivers. Ooh, wait. So we're all assuming that Doc Rivers is not going to be the coach now for the 76ers after this season? Is that what like people are already assuming? I don't even know if I'm being honest with you. But the jazz one kind of makes sense. I've been hearing a lot of rumblings uh, more that Mitchell, you know, being unhappy and things might get blown up. Uh, so I can kind of see also a coach being in that uh, um, change up. But 
for the 76ers, that's a little bit more surprising. Yeah, I mean, supposedly there's rumors about, you know, some unhappiness after the James Harden move that, you know, kind of was more of a Maury move than it was a Rivers move. Um, and I should give credit, this is coming from Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report. So this is kind of where this report is coming from. Obviously, I don't know the details of it, but hey, get Doc back in L.A. He's kind of he's just going to hit all the big ones. He's going to hit Philly, L.A. twice, you know, Boston. That what what more can you do if he, he should hit Chicago? I feel like that's the last one, right? Well, he's already been. Uh, wasn't he also a coach for the Clippers for a time as well? Yeah, this would be L.A. round two. LA. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting because soon it'll be like every fan base is going to hate him because I don't. I think Doc is one of the great coaches, but every time I feel like I see him leave, I, I hear people always reminding of like the horrible playoff performances that Doc's teams have and the horrible lineups he sets up in the playoffs. So however great he is, I feel like I always hear the negatives over the positives. That's where you just let the coach or the GM that LeBron is, you know, take over. Get Doc will get you through the regular season. Clearly it's not working with Vogel right now. So maybe that's the plan. You know, you, you just let Doc take over the regular season and then LeBron will be LeBron in the playoffs. We'll, we'll have to see. I don't know. It, they're going to keep LeBron probably. But do you think that's the move to keep LeBron or, or is it better to keep AD because of the age? But I don't know. It's tough. Neither it, of those players are, are really ideal in my eyes. Is it one or the other? I mean, I think you got to keep them both. I really do. Uh, see, the problem is I feel like you have so few assets that like you're going to have to give up somebody big to get that depth that you lack and the just get somebody on defense because you lost uh, a great one that we'll probably be talking about too later. I think there will always be veterans willing to go for the vet men. So it's just getting the right pieces around. As long as you have LeBron, you're in win now mode. Assets are going to be sent out the door as soon as they're not valuable to LeBron himself on the court. It's just reality. If you're going to keep LeBron, you have to keep AD and you have to keep any player that's going to try to help him win now. And you just get by as well as you can while doing that. I just don't think you're going to get much from James or not from James Harden. Sorry. uh, From Russell Westbrook. I don't think you're going to get a lot from him. Well, he might be a negative player right now. Might, but I mean, might, but I mean, yeah. I don't think even as an asset, you're going to get a lot for him. Then Nobody let him really want yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, if you can get off the contract, I you may, maybe you have to give a pick to do that. I don't know what that looks like, but ultimately, you just gotta. It's a it's a cycle, and I think it'll continue to be that as long as LeBron's on any team for the rest of his career. Speaking of cycles, would you like to hear uh, my first hot take of the day? I would love nothing more. Okay. Well, we were talking about the 76ers a little bit earlier. And uh, previous 76ers lore has kind of jogged my memory and made me feel like I've seen something before in the past. So if we're remembering one of the great uh, 76ers, uh, a player who has won an MVP before and we consider as one of the great offensive talents of all time who do you think i'm thinking of just a spitball i'm guessing probably alan iverson yes so alan iverson i feel like james harden is the new recreation of alan iverson in all the bad ways so what i mean by that is we're seeing a new player who is incredibly toxic in some ways off the court and a little bit on the court as well. And uh, if we're remembering something too about Allen Iverson is that he retired pretty young. So Allen Iverson actually retired from the NBA at age 35 
Uh, he played around a little bit internationally, but he was out at 35. Harden is currently 32. I think both of them are uh, just like Allen Iverson, who very quickly played himself out of the league and was playing worse and worse over the last few years. I think we're starting to see that with James Harden. So if he's on track, three more years, and we may not see a James Harden left in this league. James Harden, a player who we used to say was the best offensive talent, or at least tied with it uh, in the league. And now this is a player who has been performing horribly uh, the past several years by getting worse and worse. He was a player who was consistently on first all NBA teams. Now this year, maybe he's going to be a third team. So he's not horrible, but he's not the James Harden he was. I mean, if we're looking at uh, what his like averages were for the past few games, apart from the Milwaukee game, which was nine and 17, which is a good performance. He's been seven for 18, two for 11, seven for 15, four for 15 and four for 13 in his past few games. But not only that, I mean, like his health and stuff, he hasn't been taking care of himself as well. So a lot of those things that we used to say that were great about James Harden, like his uh, being able to drive to the basket, he doesn't really have that anymore. He's just losing so many of those core abilities that made him great. So what's the comparison to Iverson then? Basically that he's going to have a quicker end of career? Yep. My uh, my take is really that their careers mirror their, uh, themselves in several ways. And one of the most important being that they're going to play themselves out of their career relatively early, earlier than we would have thought. Okay. I take a little bit. Of, I'm going to start with the off the, the court stuff. First of all, I think a lot of people actually really liked Allen Iverson as a teammate. I don't think he was a toxic player per se. Uh, if I remember correctly, perfect, I, think, sure. I think Chris Weber said he was one of the best teammates he ever had actually. Sure. I guess I, what I might mean by that more is that by the media talks about them a lot and views them in that way, though, I think in much different ways, I think personally, like you said, uh, Allen Iverson from the players he played with didn't have as much negatives to say about him, but James Harden, that's not true about his play, uh, uh, the people he plays with as much. Uh, when I mentioned before that, uh, there's a specific player who would vouch for me in my opinions, uh, it's been reported that apparently Kyrie Irving said to James Harden's face that he's washed. So James or so James Harden, according to Kyrie Irving, is washed. So there's definitely one of his uh, current teammates who many of us view as one of the great offensive talents in the league right now, too. Uh, doesn't exactly have high um, views of him right now. So. Oh, OK. I didn't see that. I. Take everything Kyrie says with a grain of salt, obviously. Ultimately, I don't think we can really make a fair assessment of where Harden is right now. I I think there's a, there's a wide range of outcomes. I think Harden could develop one of those offensive talent, like Carmelo type end of careers, where he's like, I'm going to be a bucket. You know, I can stay in this league until I'm 37, 38, right? And I'm just going to be a bucket. Two for and, 11, four for 15, and four for 13 do not sound like uh, bucket getters to me. Well, we have to change the role, right? So, like, Carmelo was putting up poor numbers in an alpha role on a team because when that's the expectation, you're going to be forcing up bad shots. But if you can reframe what a player is supposed to be within an offense, then you can create opportunities for them, not as the focal point of your offense, but as an added bonus on the wing, you know, especially in a high 
shooting offense, high volume offense that you're looking for. Maybe not as much of your defensive lineups. Obviously he'd be more of a rotation player at that type of point. And I think I'm getting ahead of myself too, in terms of his career. I think he's still a star, but whether or not, not, be not to- anywhere towards the extreme he is, I'm saying that peak was in the past and it is dropping down. And if it's anything like the past two years, it is dropping fast. And that's fair. And also he's not supposed to be the best player on his team right now. I think that's part of the benefit. You know, I think, I think he is acknowledging, you know, he's 32 years old. He's, you know, basically past, he is past his prime, just like statistically speaking in terms of when most players hit their prime. But if he can be the second player on the offense, he can still be a successful player. I think that's, I think AI for so long to go back to your comparison was like considered like the best player on his team, like over the course of, you know, most of his career, maybe, you know, Carmelo would have been the, the, um, the focal point of some of those nuggets teams that AI was on. But I think Harden is getting an opportunity that AI didn't in that he's going to be paired with a offense that fits him like structurally and fundamentally on the Sixers. And he doesn't have to do it as the, the focal point of the offense with Embiid being the star player on that team. Guess, I'm not sure I if that makes sense, of... but yeah, it, I think, I don't think the, the book is out on, on Harden. Well, maybe, but it's not working out in seven on the 76ers. I don't think uh, what their scheme is and what they've been running in the 76ers for the past, I guess, games that I've seen them with. It very rarely seems to be something that seems incredibly successful to me. I can't say that I've seen any of the Sixers games recently. I'm not gonna, you know, um, say that I have the most recent Sixers game I saw was the one I was in person at with the Timberwolves, but I just think it's too early to make judgments. You know, you have a a team that's built around different players and now you bring in Harden halfway through the year, you know, that changes what doc rivers has to do. That changes, you know, the, the players that you get in an off season to build around your core offense. So, you know, I think we have to give it at least through the playoffs, but I would, I want to see, you know, an off season, what the Sixers do around Harden and Embiid as the core. And then we can really make a judgment on whether or not, you know, Harden can be that person. Fair enough. I, I think it's really a big problem. They lost so many of their good offensive go-to forces uh, in that trade. Um, Seth Curry, even though he's injured right now, I think was a really key piece that uh, was added, that was taken away from that offense uh, and added to the, the nets. So I feel like if they added some more, key role players. I mean, there's not going to be a lot of Seth Curry's out there, but hopefully there'll be somebody that can help fill in those gaps. No, Seth Curry is, is truly a, a, one of the most valuable types of players you can have in the league. And, and I agree. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a big loss. So where would you put the Sixers right now in terms of your confidence? You know, do you think they're going to be a first round out? Do you, are you, you thinking they can make a run or where are you at with them? Well, it's tough because uh, the other one that I had said too was a team that I was incredibly high on when we had first talked about the initial trades, the, the Nets. I'm also not so high on them if it's already been announced that uh, um, Ben Simmons will not be playing in the play-in tournament, and they've been dropping drastically since then. So their big hole that we had even mentioned during that episode was their defense, and I was incredibly happy and confident to see uh, the addition of Ben Simmons because I had said on that podcast, I thought Ben Simmons was one of the top three defensive players in the league. Um him not being uh, available, I'm not putting him in that list, of course, right now, because if you're not there, the best abil- ability, I've always said, is availability. Mm-hmm. So uh, You have team... always said that, ever since we were kids. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. I can make a bad, bad <laughs> joke, but I'll, I'll keep it going. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, it's it's tricky. Um, 
because they are also lower. The Celtics, uh, with the loss, too, of uh, their great center. I'm trying to remember his name. I'm sorry. Robert Time Lord Williams. Robert Williams. Yep, that's what it is. That's my lord to you. (laughs) Time Lord. I'll address him as such. I love (laughs) it. Um, but yeah, that was a big loss. I mean, he was a key to, to a lot of their defensive schemes. Uh, the, I mean, the need for a big man. Let's see uh, how other players like Al Horford kind of try to fill in that role. I mean, I still think probably with their uh, – I know it's funny because uh, we had talked off this podcast about the Celtics, and the more I've kind of pondered it, I'm probably putting the Celtics as probably the very likely conference final matchup that the Bucks will face. Um so it's probably them. And then number three is probably going to be the heat. Uh, but after that, it's tough. Uh, I don't really have as much faith in the 76ers to make it to the conference finals. Really. I very much likely say that their best uh, situation will probably be a second round out, but I could even see them getting bounced in the first. Like if uh, Kevin Durant's really heated up and uh, even with that lack of defense, I could see them taking on uh, the 76ers and beating them. That would be a close series. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see. It will. It will. And Robert Williams sounds like he might be coming back actually for the playoffs. It's not quite a season ender, which is good Ooh. news for Celtics fans out there. I think he might be back in the second round is maybe what they're thinking right now. End of April. So, Oh, well they can make it. I think without him that far, they're very deep. I think they me, could. Team. I think they could. Okay. Well, why don't we go over on to another take? I got a take for you, bird. Oh, let's hear it. So I like my takes. As you know, a little Mild. more general, <laughs> Mild. <laughs> probably, honestly. Um, but I like my takes like more general about what I think should be rather than about what is. So oh, I have two here. I'm deciding which one I want to go with, but they kind of are related. So the, the hottest of the two. What I'm we'll going to get... say that the NBA should do away with conferences entirely. Oh, speaking of I mean... the Eastern Conference. Or there the is Conference. really messed up decision lines that they've drawn already. So, I mean, why is Memphis in the Western Conference? And then Milwaukee is in, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I, you know, there is that side of things. And like, obviously the NBA is very weighted in the East. So it makes sense that there are some like, you know, New Orleans, Memphis, Minnesota that are considered West that are a little more, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Eastern and the geographical United States. Or Midwestern. But um, that all aside, I just think we don't need it anymore. I don't think it lends to exciting races. And I think what what I'm saying is kind of founded in this. I think the play-in tournament is one of the best things that the NBA has done in a long time in terms of changing the structure of the NBA, which is maybe one of the biggest things they've done in a long time, granted. But I think that change in itself is a good thing because what are we seeing? We're seeing teams fundamentally change how they go after players. What, what is a contending team? That definition has changed. You look at the Kings going for Domas Sabonis, um, you know, earlier in the trade deadline this year. So you, you have teams changing how they, you know, are, are viewing competitiveness, which is awesome. We want teams trying to be competitive. That's, that's the goal. I think you have, um, you know, more teams that are going to be able to get momentum going into a playoffs. And so my whole thought is, why not just rethink how we want our playoffs to be? For so long, we had imbalanced conferences. Right now, I'd say they're a little more balanced, but you know that kind of seesaw could change at any point. Let's just guarantee we get the top 16 teams. That's, that's how we do you know, the playoffs. 
you want to do a play-in with those for like through 18 or through even 20, if you want to include as many as we do now, you know, we can, we can figure out how to make that work. Wouldn't that also though, kind of create more uh, disparity though, when you have no conferences and you just have it be one grouping and then saying the very top and the very bottom. So wouldn't the very bottom have less of a chance to get into that play-in tournament if they have to compete against the entire group of teams versus just uh, the Eastern conference or say the Western conference. So like those, like the Kings and Pistons might have a lot more trouble to come back from versus like, I don't, they have a lot more ground to cover is what I'm saying. That's true. That's true. I hear what you're saying. Um, Would it be better if there was divisions or are you saying strictly it should just be all one clump of just like the best teams are playing and the worst teams are just going to stay where they are? I think you keep the same level of competitiveness with a more realistic outlook on it, right? Where you say, okay, the teams that, let's say we still have a play-in tournament that allows for, you know, two, three, whatever, four teams that are, would be on the outside looking in to have a shot to get in. You're still looking at 20 teams with an opportunity. And hypothetically, you're looking at the 20 best teams in the NBA, as opposed to the 10 and 10 in each conference, which might not be exactly the 20 best teams. You know what I'm saying? I guess I'm kind of more for what we have now, uh, especially now with the addition of the play-in tournament. I think it gives a lot more opportunity for any team to possibly make it and stuff like that. Sure, there's always going to be the issue of, well, the Western Conference is deeper or the Eastern Conference is deeper like it is right now. Uh, though it's been the Western, you know, for most of the historical uh, history of the NBA. But I would say that uh, it's probably better to have it so that way you have more of that parity when I, cause I personally, like I mentioned before, I think there's going to be more disparity if you have it be a larger uh, group, but I think a lot of additions, like adding that, uh, I think they've been talking to about the uh, middle of the season tournament. I think a lot of ways like that'll uh, also kind of push for teams to be more competitive and you might see, I don't know, a lot more interest in a lot of these teams and stuff like that and can make it interesting for different fan bases. So I guess I wouldn't be there here for it, but I hear what you're saying. I think one of the things that also kind of bugs me is this posturing at the end of the season that, you know, teams start to like mini tank for matchups and playoffs. So you, you add an element of randomness to a full 16 team or it's, you just can't predict exactly where you're going to be. Whereas right now we can say with some certainty who some of the seeds will as a fact be in the playoffs right now. So, I think you saw that last year, but I don't think that's as present this year. I mean, with how deep a lot of these, uh, like how close a lot of these teams are, both in the East and the West, no one really wants to lose a game on purpose because they really don't know who they're going to be playing because it's so close everywhere. I think last year, sure, but I don't know. That's that's something, too, that's just like there's also a little bit of intrigue there because it's like, well, there's a little bit of strategy to choosing it. I mean, well, with the introduction of the play-in tournament, I think it makes a lot of these last few games still super interesting. So maybe the top ones aren't as interesting, but a lot of these ones lower on will still be very interesting. But even like I said this year, the top ones still are very tough. Cause I mean, the top three or four, I think in the East are all like within a game or two of each other still. You know, and, and that is the case in the East, as we look at the East, you know, you have 51 wins through 48 wins from the first through fourth seeds, but the Western conference on the other hand, it's 62 through 49. We know the Suns are one. We know the Grizzlies are going to be two. The Warriors in all likelihood are going to be three and the Mavericks four. So we pretty much know exactly who you're going to be matched up against if you're going for one of those five, six or playing games. You know, that gets a little bit more random at that point. But 
you can you can posture for a matchup in the Western Conference right now. And you could you could have been doing that for the last two weeks. True. I guess I just don't know of a good solution that I would like to fix that. I think you just, you know, if I if I had my whole way with changing the structure of the NBA, it would be a 58 game season, home and away with every team, no conferences, top 16 teams make it, add in a playing tournament if you want to, do a midseason tournament, give whoever wins the midseason tournament a guaranteed playoff spot. I don't care. I think just changing the structure of it. I, you know, it right now, it just doesn't mean anything. You have the NFL where every division means something. The NBA doesn't, the conferences and divisions don't really signify anything other than just geographical location and maybe slighter ease of travel. But if you do a midseason tournament, just do a home and away. Every game is an event at that point, because every game you're, you're going to be selling tickets like mad because there's going to be you're going to say, this is my one opportunity to see this team when it comes to town. You're going to, you know, have every kind of rivalry guaranteed, like a home and away. It's going to, there's going to be two opportunities. Every game is going to mean more against a certain team. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling at this point, but I just think at this point, the regular season gets so drawn out. There's so many players resting, collapsing that a little bit, giving the extra games. If you want to subsidize, basically those, if you did a 58 game season, the, you know, what is it? 24 games lost or whatever. You can subsidize that with the tournament. I think, I think there's exciting things that can happen in the NBA. And I think Adam Silver is thinking about those things. If I had my uh, way with the NBA, it's kind of a aggressive way to put it. I would, um, I think there's some radical change that could happen. What does it mean? Who knows? You know, might not change anything, but it's kind of fun to think about. Fair enough. Uh, I guess I'll just, Still disagree with you there because I think uh, if you do it your way too, uh, the way you were bringing it up too with football, certain fan bases will just be neglected then if you don't have entire regions that just aren't represented in the playoffs. So by having, if you have it more like divisions like that, you'll always make sure that you're going to have some fan bases represented from that area, at least in there, versus if you have it just be the largest uh, overall one big group it'll be a lot more likely that you're just going to see certain teams that'll or certain areas that'll just never get represented. And I don't think that's always ideal. So like, for, for example, when we have the Packers in the um, North, uh, the NFC North and stuff like that, and then you have the Northeast division, those are two divisions where there's pretty considerably weak teams, but you'll always get thankfully like teams that are represent that area, even if those divisions may be weaker. So does that matter that much? If you want to have more viewers for your league, I would say, yes, it does. I think those teams will get stars in the draft and then it'll be a pendulum. You know, I think that's just how being a professional sports team works. And I think you have plenty of precedent in other leagues. You know, I'm thinking more like premier league soccer where you don't have parity in, you know, How's the pendulum going for the lions and the jets. Well, they're in New York. So they're always going to get, you know, the representation for New York is not, is not lost. The, the Lions are thrilled because Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl last year. I think they saw themselves. Yes, but, about representation. but he won on what team? He won on what team? Not sure, the Lions. But I think the Lions were pretty happy that he won the Super Bowl. And I think it meant a lot to Lions fans. I'm I, not saying just, it is a Super Bowl for them. and But I'm saying, but your point would be that they should be happy that the Packers and the Vikings and the Bears make the playoffs instead of them. I don't think they're happy about that. 
I think they're, no, but they're, they're upset they, about they're, that. They're at least like hate watching it because there's rivalries. It's a lot easier to have rivalries when you, these are the teams that you're playing more frequently and these are like your regional like matchups and stuff like that. I think when you lose regional matchups and have teams that you're playing less often, you're, you're going to lose a little bit of that rivalry as well. I just don't think regional matchups mean that much in the NBA because they're so watered down with the regular season. I, I guess that's hard to say. I mean, it's really tr- tricky because both I'd say the Timberwolves and probably even the Bucks uh, don't really have rivals per se as much as say like the Lakers and the Celtics and a lot of these other teams or more like the Lakers and the Clippers maybe even more relevant for a regional comparison. But uh, which would exist know. no matter what. True, true. I guess I- I'm still here for it, but we might want to move on as well. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Well, you got one more take for us. Ah, uh, sure. Uh, so do you want to hear my Bucks propaganda take or do you want to hear my uh, take on the all NBA teams? Um, let's save the all NBA teams for a future episode because that should be applicable. Let's say let's hear your Bucks propaganda. OK, so we had been talking about this off podcast a little bit as well, and I am digging my feet in. I'm taking Milton over Kyrie. Um, I think he's the better player now. Uh, Kyrie, sure, he's still a great player and he's playing more now. So that's good. But I mean what do we have all season less Kyrie Middleton we've had mid-range Middleton this whole year I'd say to Middleton the better defensive player of the two of them larger size as well so allowing for more use therefore on on the defensive end so there's a little bit of the advantage Kyrie sure he's been clutch in the past I don't I think this year though I think we mentioned on the last podcast as well his numbers have been down um Middleton's always been more consistent uh and I don't know. I, I just think he shows up as a great number two. Like, like I said before, earlier in the podcast, availability, best ability. So I, I just really am liking Middleton more and more over Kyrie the more I think about it. It is a Bucks propaganda take. It's an impossible one-to-one comparison. And we've been over this in previous conversations, even in this episode, right? It's, it's a system comparison. Is... Chris Middleton better for the Bucks than Kyrie would be for the Bucks? Yeah, probably. Is if I'm starting a team, I'm doing a fantasy draft, I, I would pick know. Kyrie I, in I front of Chris Middleton. I also kind of think that the team would be better, though. The Nets team would be better with Chris Middleton on it. They would have probably had a better standing and probably might not even be out of the play-in tournament. You know, I just don't know what to... How you how you make that comparison, right? Because because we don't even know what Kyrie is. I'm valuing year. off court actions as well. I guess I should clarify when with this because, like I the, said, with the availability, when you have somebody who's a lot, le- uh, I mean, his teammates all say good things about him a lot of the times. But we, like we mentioned with the toxic list, there's just so many things that you can't always predict from this man versus Chris Middleton every day in and out most of the time. Apart from sometimes. The past, like two years ago, maybe he was a little bit more inconsistent in the playoffs, but the past two years or before two years ago, I should say, but now for the past two years, he's been relatively consistent and you know what you're getting from a night in night out. Okay. A couple things. One, I, you know, obviously the off the, the court comparison changes things in that Kyrie has not been available due to personal stances he's made that are off the court. Obviously I do not agree with those stances. I think it's silly. Everyone should get vaccinated. That being an aside, he is a just better creator on a team. He's a better, he's better at his top end skills on the court. He is a matchup. We'll both agree that 
peak Kyrie is is better than peak Middleton, but I but, think but that we're not having that, your take that he, is that he Middleton's a better player, and I'm but making the, the argument. The, you're you're saying the argument so that in, I, I have the ability to make here. I'm seeing so infrequently peak Kyrie that it's like almost the same thing we were saying with James Harden to a lesser extent. Is there this peak uh, Kyrie that we're seeing anymore? I mean, I feel like the thing people hype up for Kyrie every time is still like the oh, what was it, five years ago or however long it was? He was like, oh, he hit that shot on the Cavs. You know, he get hit that game-winning shot. Like, cool. How long ago was that? Like, can we bring up something more new, recent? No? Mm, maybe there's a reason for that. I mean, I hear that. I, availability is huge, like you said. I also kind of go back to what I said about Harden in that, like, the vaccine mandate is being lifted in New York, so he's going to be playing more. And Kyrie, you mean, sorry. Yeah, Kyrie will be playing more. And so I think we need to reserve some judgment on this iteration of the Nets until we see the full picture, which I really don't think we have yet. Well, I don't know if we're ever really going to see it. Like we mentioned earlier in the podcast with Ben Simmons being out a full iteration this year. So I guess we'll have to wait till next year if that's your stance. That's fair. And I, and that might be my stance. I can't just postpone my takes on everything, but if you, I, we have to frame the conversation. If you're going to make it a one-to-one player comparison, we have to frame it in a vacuum, not within the system they exist in. I would take Kyrie over Kyrie over Chris Middleton because of the opportunities Kyrie allows for me in an offensive system. Whereas I need everything to have already fit into place in order to have Chris Middleton be that caliber player on my team. But there are two sides of the court, which is part of the reason, uh, part of our show actually today as well. By the way, it's true. Sure, do I don't think we, I don't think we've mentioned that. We haven't mentioned that yet. So we got a we got a list as we like to do, you know, and it'll be in the uh, the episode title here as well. But the defensive players of the NBA, as you are wont to point out, Bird, um, sometimes they don't always get the appreciation that they deserve. And, you know, honestly, in, in kind of curating the list that we're about to do here, I wasn't as equipped, I felt, to, to make the list. But we, we went ahead and did it. And we have our top six defensive players. We each made a list of our top six. We have some honorable mentions. We can save those for after we do our list. So oh, you want them after, not before? I think we don't spoil anything because we get into uh, – we might get into each other's list with our honorable mentions. So Okay. okay. Anything else you want to add before we start here? Uh, no, uh, that was all I had left for the takes if we're wanting to save anything for all NBA. Um, but I'm just excited to do this uh, defensive player. Like like you mentioned before, uh, they don't get a lot of recognition. I think uh, defensive players definitely deserve a lot more highlight. We have a lot of players in the league right now who I think are going to be Hall of Famers because of their defensive presence. Um, I don't know, we have arguably some two of like the greatest of all time in certain positions uh, for some of these players. And we'll get into that. Um, so I think this is a really great era for defense, even though I feel like, I don't know about you, Seamus, but the complaint I always hear from uh, casuals when they're complaining about the NBA, they're just like, I don't see any defense. I don't, I don't like it. I like uh, college better because I see defense. And it's just like, well, I don't think you're looking in the right spots. If you say you're not seeing defense being played in the NBA. Oh, those casuals. They are, they don't get it. They just don't get it like <laughs> you and I do bird. So with that, let me get some uh, perspective into your perspective. Um, okay. Some insight maybe is a better word. 
when you thought about this question, when you thought about ranking defensive players, what makes a great defensive player to you? And how did you kind of think about criteria that went into this list? So there's a lot of different styles of uh, defense, just like there's a lot of different styles of offense, a lot of different positions and a lot of different kind of things that you can excel at. So for example, like some of the characteristics that I'm looking at when I'm looking at uh, players, I'm looking at, for example, uh, we have the position specifically, we have the wing, we have uh, the nail. So for maybe those who are uh, maybe not as knowledgeable, what the nail uh, position usually is for defense. You just don't get it, you people. <laughs> I didn't say that. I did not say that. I'm just, because I also did not know, uh, until, like when I first got into basketball and stuff like that, and you learn it more over time. So the nail is the position that's right in the center of the free throw line. So uh, that is the nail because when they, make a lot of the measurements for creating the basketball court that's uh how they where they make it off of is that nail location but anyways that position there is usually more of uh like a spot where a lot of the defense kind of centers around so usually like your your help defender will kind of be located in that spot so he'll be moving from spot to spot and usually focuses on your mid-range but anyways there's those positions there's of course your big men who are all often very much your uh best point protect or your paint protectors and stuff like that. But then you also have players. I think high motor is a defensive characteristic personally. So that's something I value. Uh, isolation defenders is probably one that will be, be very common that we'll get into. Uh, but then also screen navigation and stuff like that. And a lot of uh, players who are able to be really good at the point of attack. So those are some of the characteristics that I'm looking at. I'll, I'll get into a few more and stuff like that as we go, but those are just some of the things I'm looking at. Okay. I kind of classified mine into three abilities being rim protector, help defender, and perimeter defender. And then you have obviously a lot of people that uh, fit into multiple of those boxes, mm-hmm. but switch, 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 uh, switchable switchability is also a characteristic too, that I would be yes. looking at that yep. maybe you're also valuing as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that kind of, I think fits into help defense a little bit as well as, you know, perimeter defending. If you can switch onto someone on the perimeter, that's a huge factor, but um, you know, I think we should, uh, I think we should dive in here and, uh, and see, and um, why don't you give us uh, your, your first or your sixth person on the list here? Well, I don't think I'm lying. Uh, I kind of uh, had mentioned to you outside of this podcast that my number six was going to be hot right out the gate. Uh, my number six is Rudy Gobert. So a lot of people will be like, wow, Rudy Gobert at number six. Um, I think that this was, is partially this is partially because of some of the reasons I think I had brought up on other shows. Uh, I think Rudy Gobert's lack of switchability is just really tough. Uh, it's really what kills uh, the Jazz often in the playoffs is anytime you kind of bring him out of the paint, it can also, often be easy to expose him in the playoffs. Uh, but despite that he's still one of the best paint protectors. Like I had mentioned uh, when we had started the list, I think he's one of those players specifically. That's one of the greatest paint protectors of all time. Uh, He's going to be in the hall of fame because of his paint protection, pretty much. Um, He's just great at that. Uh, I think he'll go down. Yeah. as one of the greatest. And I don't know. He he's really what the jazz's entire uh, defense is kind of centered around. And you, you, we often think of the Jazz having great defense, and that's because of Rudy Gobert. So, therefore, I agree with all of that. So, what puts him down to six? Because I think my number uh, five through one is just so much better. It's it's tough. It's just because there's such great depth, and I think also, like I said, I value the switchability a lot, and also, um, 
another trait too that I'll value too you'll see moving forward is isolation defense as well a lot okay okay well um Rudy Gobert is higher on my list I'll keep you in suspense as to where that might be okay but I will hop over to my six Brady gonna be mad at me you ready to be mad uh-oh. at me? Uh-oh, uh-oh. I know who it's going to be then, if I'm no, mad already. It's not It's not even about a person. It's not even about a person. Oh, okay. No, no Timberwolves made the list. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> off air, we uh, talked about how many people we wanted this list to be. Yes, I wanted I wanted a longer list. You wanted a longer list. I I went to a shorter list. We, we kind of compromised around six. You're going to be mad at me, though, because I did a tandem at six. Oh no, what's, what's but it's, the tandem? It's hard to separate these two. So let me get into my point. My my tandem is Marcus Smart and Robert Williams, who we mentioned earlier in this podcast. Obviously, the, the connection there being that they are the the um leading forces in what is turned out to be the leading defense this uh this NBA season on the Celtics. So I think it's hard to hard to separate them just a little bit in terms of um you know their one impact to leading a defense because they are working so closely together. But you look at them together, you know, Marcus Smart, he's switching everything. He's guarding everyone. Um, you know, I, I want to say, I don't have it in front of me right now, but um, that basically Marcus Smart is top five in switches. I want to say those per ESPN um, this season because he has that versatility. He can guard one through five. Robert Williams, you know, he is... Um, Another player has really um, come up this year. His, you know, rim protection, he's averaging, I want to say 2.2 blocks a game. And he's kind of doing that on a new role, like really getting his feet under him um, this year. So I, I think the, the two of them, their versatility, um, their, uh, you know, basically ability to kind of be so much of a focal point of the Celtics team from the defensive end that is, you know, one of the hottest teams in the league, as we mentioned, um, together, they, uh, they deserve a ton of props. Um, and as is that Celtics team. And so I put them at my sixth position. I just find that hilarious because, uh, Celtics fans and myself would value him much higher than you have him. Uh, and then also, I mean, if we're talking about, just like you said, teams that, uh, are centered around a specific player, I think it's funny too because I just have Marcus Smart. I didn't, didn't have any tandems because I didn't cheat like uh, my co-host here. But um, it's funny because even just as one player, I valued him higher than you because uh, year in year out, we always say the Celtics have an incredible defense. And I think a lot of times, who is the person that we're always pointing to to be like a large, large contributor to that? And we say it's Marcus Smart. I, I'll get into it a little bit further when I have him on my list, but. Totally. Uh, I, and I totally I'm glad you have saying. him on your list. I'm just surprised. It's yeah. I, I think it's the tandem that I, I wanted to acknowledge together. And I didn't feel like I could put them both on there any higher than some of the individuals I have above. Um, but they definitely are a very, very good six on my list. Okay. All right. Uh, you ready for you... my number five? Yeah. Let's hop over. All right. I promise I'm not doing this for the meme. Uh, I have at number five, Alex Caruso. Nice. I think Alex Caruso is the best screen navigator in the league uh, and one of the best point of attack defense players in the league. He has good hands. And when I mean good hands, so a player with good hands, I would classify as a player who is able to like know where to go and attack and jump at opportunities. So good hands can often come off as steals or also just being able to get uh, like good 
placement and stuff like that for like blocks and for just like where you need to be. So good hands is a, definitely a very valuable thing. And I think he's also got the second highest motor in the NBA. And when I, when I say motor, these are players that like, you're just surprised even with however many minutes they're putting in, they're just going, going, going all game. And like this whole load, load management thing, these players don't know how to do that in a the game. They're just always at a hundred percent. And I think that's, that's not really something that should be ignored. That's a skill. And I think Alex Caruso is one of those players that night in night out, I would rank as one of the best. And I, like I said, the second best in the league at uh, defensive motor. Going back to our point about the Lakers. I mean, we all can agree that was a huge loss and we didn't realize how much that loss would be for that team when he left. So until you saw the rise of the bulls, that is until you saw the rise of the bulls. And, you know, unfortunately Alex Caruso has, um, you know, had a couple injuries this year, but um, you know, that is uh, that I, I appreciate the perspective in terms of motor. That's not something I necessarily evaluated um, intentionally on my list, but I think when you're talking about that, Alex Caruso is definitely a huge, huge. Well, you'll hear my number one uh, motor on this list too. So it is Patrick Beverly, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Shall we continue? You're number five now. Yeah. My number five. My number five is Jaron Jackson Jr. Of the Memphis Grizzlies. So, okay. And he hasn't always been the best defensive player, but this year kind of coming back from injury, he has come into his own. He's leading the league in blocks this season, uh, 2.3 blocks per game and, uh, you know, well leading, um, the league in blocks right now. He also is top 10 in defensive win shares at 3.6 this year. You know, John Morant has talked about how even with John off the floor that that Grizzlies team is, um, you know, with JJJ in the lineup is, um, you know, still a high efficiency team. So, um, his versatility, his ability this year to, um, kind of be in that drop defense, um, is, is really improving his ability on the defensive end. And when you look at the physical tools that he has, I, you know, there's not many players that can compare to him. So I'm really excited about his prospect of improving in the future. This is a little bit of a potential pick, but you know, he's, he's showing it this year and I, I feel pretty good about saying, he's going to be one of the best defensive players in, in the league for years to come. I agree with that. Um, there's a lot of takes I, I liked about what you said. Uh, I think it's also something to value for the fact that, uh, I mean, with how long that we've seen uh, their star player in John Morant being out, they're still being one of the greatest teams. I think a lot of that has to do with players like uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. But uh, I didn't have him on my list, actually. I'm not surprised about that. And sorry if you could hear that siren in the background here, but um, you know, I, like I said, it's a little bit of a um, perspective pick and, uh, and I look forward to seeing what it looks like in in years to come here. Why don't you give me your number four here? Number four is where I believe you should have placed Marcus smart. Uh, I have Marcus smart as uh, like I said, the great, the best screen navigator and point of attack defender in the league. Uh, or sorry, not the best. Sorry. He's a great one though. So he's behind Alex Caruso, but he's great at it. Uh, he's also incredibly switchable. Like you had mentioned before, which is a trait that I highly value good hands. And I'd say he's the second best nail defender in the league. Uh, so a lot of traits in the middle of the road, I'd say that he's great at, at a lot of everything. So therefore very switchable. Uh, he's centered a great defense for a long time now. 
Uh, at first, I think in the beginning of the season, I think Celtics fans were starting to say that he was a little overrated, but I think everybody's kind of came around on that and he's started to show everybody again that he's not washed up at all. I don't think we can even say that Marcus Smart has at all atrophied. I think he's continued to stay uh, constant, one of the best defenders in the league. Uh, he's going to get a lot of looks for Defensive Player of the Year, uh, but he is my number four. I checked the Vegas odds and I didn't base my my list around that too much, but um, he's actually leading the Vegas odds right now in for defensive player of the year, which is interesting because traditionally that obviously has gone to a rim protector. Um, They're trying to stick away from bigs actually this year. Interesting. Okay. So I didn't know that, but, um, you know, I think Marcus smart is rightfully on both of our lists. You're probably right. I should have him higher, but, um, you know, what a talent I think is, is really all we need to say. It's um, too bad. The rest of our list, uh, the Vegas odds aren't for any of them. The rest of your list. Or, 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 or my, or your list as well. Let's hear your number four. Well, my number four is um, Bam Adebayo. Ooh. Okay. Did Bam make your list? He made my honorable mentions. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I framed it before in um, my top three. So I, I I don't know if I'm going to talk a ton about Bam here, but um, you know, those three characteristics I was looking at rim protector, help defense and uh, perimeter defense. Each one of my top three represents, you know, a absolute top tier level of one of those abilities. Bam is not a top tier player in any one of those categories, but he's a, he's the most all around player potentially. I think you look at Marcus Smart maybe in that conversation, but it's, you know when you think about rim protector, obviously you you have some gaps. Bam, I find it I was, hilarious that we didn't even talk about this, and my notes say almost verbatim thing of what you're saying of how he's a Swiss army knife. He's like a brown belt and everything, but not a black belt and anything. Exactly. You know, you, you go on the list and you know, if, if you're a stats person, you can go on, um, you know, blocks, he's not going to be on the top of the blocks list. You know, he's, um, not necessarily going to be showing up in any of the other areas, but when you think about that defense and, uh, for the heat and, you know, what, what propels them at this point, it's bam. And it's his versatility to bring up that word again. Um, you know, that he can really, be the stalwart of a defense and uh and you know finding creative ways to use them is on the coach but the the ability that he's shown is for he's done it for years now so i I think at this point we have to think of him as probably the best all-around defender in the league i would say he's the second or tied for the first for uh most switchable defender so i'll I'll give you that that's some other thing i had jotted down as well excuse me about bam yeah, why don't you give me your uh, your three here? My number three is who I would have expected and probably would have been more okay with winning uh, Defensive Player of the Year this year, but he's still my number three, and that's Mikhail Bridges. Uh, so I'd say Mikhail Bridges is the second best isolation defender. Uh, he uh, right above or maybe tied with even my number two. So my number two also being one of the best isolation defenders, but I'll get to him later. Uh, they're, they're different. They're great in isolation though, in different ways. So the reason that Mikhail Bridges is so great is his long lanky arms and his length and his, uh, that he has for defense. So he may not be as muscular or like quick, but he's got that length that allows him to contest shots better. Uh, but also allows him to kind of being able to be in more places at once due to that length. Mm, uh, I think he's he's also one of the best screen navigators also in point of attack. Uh, he's been heading I think more than uh any of the other even more than DeAndre Ayton I'd say he's one heading that great uh Phoenix Suns defense uh 
Mikhail Bridges is also my number three. So we can uh, hey, hey. You know, keep the conversation here. I don't need to repeat a lot of the same things you said because I agree with um, all of them. Um, one thing I, I uh, found was that I believe, if I was reading this correctly, Mikhail Bridges has played the most possessions in the NBA this season. And it's for exactly that reason, right? It's because he's so versatile. It's because he can guard so well on the perimeter. How many players on the Suns are, we'd consider a good defender. It's him like really elevating their level of defensive play because of kind of the shot caller that he is um, on that defense. So huge fan of Mikhail Bridges, really happy for his, you know, uh, breakout season, so to speak this year. And uh, if you don't know him, you should. Are we going to share our number two now is the question. Uh, my number two, I kind of already alluded to being what I think is the best uh, um, isolation defender in the league. Uh, I think much like almost like a mirror or a flip of the coin of Mikhail Bridges is Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, I think, uh, is a better personally isolation defender than Mikhail for the fact that sure he doesn't have the length, but what he has is I think a lot more muscle and uh, quickness to him. So therefore a lot of that strength. So when I'm valuing isolation defense, somebody that's able to rough you up kind of like a lot of the narrative that people were kind of hyping up PJ Tucker uh, in the playoffs last year is kind of how I would really more describe Drew Holiday, where somebody who's really strong and able to rough a uh, player up, he's really quick. Uh, he's one of the best, uh, one of the three best, maybe third best uh, screen navigator in the league uh, and point of attack defender. Uh, and he's also having incredible hands. Uh, like I mentioned, he knows where to go, how to contest, uh, great at steals as well. Um, Drew Holiday is my number two. I don't have Drew Holiday on my list. I do have him in my honorable mention. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. How um, do you justify that? Well, I have to balance out the Bucks propaganda that's happening on this podcast some way, shape, or form. And I think I have another buck on my that's, list. That's a hot take, though, to say Drew Holiday. I, okay. All right. I'm surprised. Okay. Okay. I have to recover from that. Uh, you know, I mean, I listen, I don't want to, I don't want to rely on the advanced stats too much. You know, he's, he's not terrific in that, but when he, I, I think we're evaluating slightly different things and that's okay. And, you know, Drew is absolutely one of the best defensive players in the league. Just personally right now, I wouldn't put him in my top six. I wouldn't put him over a Marcus smart, but um, I, I can appreciate him for what he does again within, you know, that buck system that works so well. My two is another buck, which is Giannis. Do we want to spoil your list? Is he your number one? All right, sure. I mean, it was probably assumed at this point, but yeah, Giannis is my number one. So let's talk a little bit about Giannis. Um, he met my help defense, you know, kind of criteria. And I mean, you want to talk about length. Like what what can you possibly do to match By up the with way, Giannis? Giannis not being usually a very uh, arrogant player that people usually think of has even said himself that he considers himself uh, one of the greatest help defenders, if not the best help defender of all time. Which, I, can, I mean, I he's totally that. entitled to. He's totally entitled to that. You know, and he's playing center right now with Brooke Lopez, you know, being out this season. Like, And I had even said on our podcast, too, that I think that was his best position, too, in the playoffs. It's just absurd. I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's absurd. The, the, he's a freak of nature. He literally just does anything and everything you want him to. Like, I don't know how you don't recognize it at this point, um, but... Uh, he's he's Giannis. He's the Greek freak. He's he does everything, everywhere, and I he's, can't, I can't. yeah. So so the block that's almost I think it it should be on par with LeBron's block. Uh, last season that wasn't enough to put him in your number one. 
uh, I, I don't know, seeing so much from, from Giannis, like, especially too, if we're looking at one of his great defensive performances this year was the performance against the 76ers uh, with more great plays. Uh, I value him because of that motor that I had mentioned with Caruso. Giannis is the person who I would say maybe more, even more than Caruso has the best motor in the league where Giannis is diving for balls, no matter like what game it is, he's always going hard hundred percent. I think Giannis is a player who like that's, this is part of the reason why Bud always has to sometimes like play him 30 minutes more when other stars will usually only get, will get played like 45 or 50 is because Giannis is doing those whole 30 minutes or so he's going at 110%. And it's like, Giannis, you need to chill. You don't need to be diving for every ball. You don't need to be going for every block, but he does. And he does it so successfully. He's one of the, yeah. One, one of the best switchable ones too, if we haven't mentioned that already. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, he'll go down as one of the greatest of all time, obviously. But so, he's your number two. He's my he's my number two. He's my number two because this other person's also going to go down as one of the greatest of all time, specifically defensively. We've already talked about him. I said he was high on my list. I didn't say how high. He's number one. It's Rudy Gobert. We talked about him a little bit. You know, I I didn't add too many historically good players on my list. In that, like your Draymond Greens, who's in my honorable mentions, you know, Drew Holiday, I consider in that because I don't feel like they are up to that caliber right now, but I do feel that Rudy Gobert is up to his caliber. I think Rudy Gobert is as good as he is, has been. We talk about overvaluing the rim protector and like defensive player of the year, but it the reason like is you're buying into that though. The reason is your rim protector is your quarterback or your defense because. They're the ones that have to call out plays. They're the ones that have to be, you know, helping on the baseline. They're the ones that have to be just protecting one of the two facets of NBA offense. There's three pointers and there's inside shots. You don't want to be taking mid-range shots. They are specifically responsible for defending a whole, you know, branch of offense in at, at the rim play. So while I agree that, you know, it's important to acknowledge every single one of the different defensive abilities and attributes rim protector does anchor your off your defense rather. And I think it was Gobert's been the time. best. I, I don't see how you, it can't still be a thing. People are always going to be trying to go to the paint. It's, it's your, you know, efficiency. You're either going to go in the paint or at the three point line. As long as people are not shooting exclusively threes, you want to have a rim protector. So I think at one time, like in the uh, early two thousands and, uh, stuff like that we were seeing that like you described uh the rim protector being your quarterback but i think when we're looking at more our modern era you're often seeing that nail defensive player you're kind of like switch guy usually being more of that quarterback now like when you're looking at your marcus smart when you're looking at your Giannis, more when you have uh um your brooke lopez back in the lineup and other players as well, like uh, Mikhail Bridges sometimes as well. I think Mikhail Bridges, by the way, too, if you're talking about historic, I think Mikhail Bridges might go down as also one of the best like wing slash uh, help defenders too in the entire like NBA history. He'll, he'll go down as one of the best. Yeah, I think he might make the Hall of Fame personally. But anyways, um, I think that's, that's slightly changed with uh, more of the push towards, you know, a more uh, – wing and like three point shot focus thing that the uh, quarterback is being pushed also out further. I mean, also if you're looking at Draymond green, who was the head of one of the best uh, teams also for in our, in our era, do you really consider Draymond green a rim protector? 
I mean, he's great at what he does and he has a good amount of it, but his volume on uh, blocking shots and his uh, protecting in the paint isn't as high as those like Rudy Gobert. And I think that's because he's pushed out more towards that more middle position. Two things I'll say. One, I, I have seen examples. It's not as, you know, like he's not up to the level of, of Bridges or anything, but I have seen Gobert switch on people and manage, you know, on a Luka. I believe he did that earlier this year. Like he, he can handle a perimeter um, attack if he gets switched onto it. And we're also forgetting about rebounds. You know, that's a huge part of it, ending a defensive possession. And he leads the league in rebounds, leads the league in defensive rebound percentage. That's creating an offensive opportunity in terms of winning games. Rebounds are absolutely crucial. You can't be giving those second chance opportunities. And he does that the best in the league. I was going to say as well as anybody, but he is the best. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I I guess I would just say that it's changed more that. uh, And also if we were saying that we valued switchability, I don't think that he's also as, as switchable, like you mentioned before, he, he is able to do it, but as the ones that we've mentioned before, I just don't think he's as switchable. Well, we will leave it there. Maybe agree to disagree for the moment here, but um, right. you know, I think our, honorable I think mentions. our list our had a good amount of overlap and uh, I don't think we completely whiffed on anything. No, um, uh, we had, we had one perfect match and then one that was close. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, why don't you just run through real quick? Uh, we don't need to do the whole, um, you know, kind of background on them, but who who else did made your honorable mentions? I mean, sorry, I, I do want to give a little bit of respect. So Matisse Thibel, I have in my honorable mentions. Uh, I say he's also a great nail def- uh, nail defender, probably best at uh, being a like point of attack and uh, going around uh, the screens. Screen navigator. The problem is he's a bit of a risk taker. I also have Gary Payton the second. I'd say he's as the best hands uh, in the league. Uh, he's got 3.8 uh, steals per 100 possessions. Uh, incredible. Bam Adebayo, I also mentioned earlier, uh, but we talked about him. We have Jared Vanderbilt, a representation for Minnesota. I'd say Let's also. Oh, V8, baby. Yeah, another great motor and a great nail defender as well. Uh, and then, of course, Draymond Green, I also have my honorable mentions, which is um, surprising that both of us probably have him in our honorable mentions, but didn't have yes. him on the list. Yeah, he is in my honorable mentions. Um, so I have I have Jokic in my honorable mentions. Ooh, is this because Your of boy. the steals? Well, you got uh, you got the steals, but um, you know he also when you look at some of those other stats like defensive win shares, he's doing good. He's doing well Rebounds. with those. Rebounds, exactly. So you know, to the points that I made earlier about Gobert, um, Jokic is on there. Uh, I do have Thibel on my list as well. Draymond, I have Embiid as a rim protector. Drew Holiday, um, and then of course you know. It, 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 we do want to acknowledge that people like Simmons, Paul George, Anthony Davis, Kawhi are all have been elite defenders in their day, but with injuries, um, you know, possible to kind of rank them right now. But oh, for sure. When we're talking about probably best isolation defenders, too, uh, the two that we that I mentioned at least, uh, I would probably still take Kawhi Leonard over the two of them, but we're not talking about Kawhi right now. Uh, and Ben Simmons also for a player who I had even mentioned if he was healthy. He was considered to me one of the three best defenders in the league. That's not the case right now. No. Um, well, that that brings us to the end of our list. I feel like we did a pretty good job. I'm gonna pat ourselves on the back there. There we go. All right. I I, I can say I am not incredibly infuriated, but frustrated with your list. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, can't please them all. 
I'm sure you probably have a similar sentiment, I guess, with my uh, valuation since we're switching our number one to number six here. So, eh, I mean, it's still an acknowledgement. I'm really not frustrated at all, <laughs> but I think that, you know, that's, that's kind of the difference in, uh, in mentality with it as a, a little bit as well. Oh, for sure. Um, maybe a good thing to end on. We might want to tease a little bit what we're going to talk about next year. Next uh, year. In terms of our, Season not next two, year, sorry. Next, fight or flight. Next... <laughs> no, ho- hopefully we'll be able to last a little bit uh, more than that, but I was hoping uh, we wanted to let everybody know. Uh, it sounds like when the matchups are all made up, we're going to try to have our breakdowns on uh, what we think, how the matchups will end up. And I think uh, you and I had a little bit of a wager I thought we wanted to maybe talk about. We'll have a wager. Let's save that uh, as a teaser for uh, what that'll be next episode. Um, but it'll be exciting. We'll be covering it like a blanket. Um, you know, we uh, get your takes here first. And um, well, until then, hope everyone enjoys their uh, NBA watching. I hope everybody has a great day. Uh, or evening or whenever you're watching. Awesome. Well, we'll catch you next time. Until then, take it easy. Peace. Bye.